Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good Friday to you. A big welcome to those of you watching us on Facebook and Twitter. We love having you along on a Friday, but don't forget we do this program every weekday at midday Eastern. So you can tune in via our website or our app. It's a really simple sign in process and you get all of this expertise at your fingertips. All right, who are our experts today? That's always the question. I'm so pleased that we've got, well, I'll start with you, Adam oh, Dawes, Sean you. Partners thank here you. with us. I was saving the one on my right, just to show we've got a bit of gender balance happening today <laughs> on the call. Julia Lee from Berman Invest is here with us as well. Just a general question of you both before we get started. For yes. this week, it's been a distinct sort of lack of keying off of those overseas leads. Yeah, look, I think we're in a sideways move uh, or, or way that this market is going to go. And that sideways move momentum is, is going to be around that sort of 6,700, 6,600 to 6,800. And I think that momentum is going to continue for a while until we get a catalyst to move this market. I think higher Aussie dollar has been a real um, negative for uh, the healthcare stocks some potentially some of our resource stocks, those kinds of things. And so when that Aussie dollar starts to potentially fall away, we might see another catalyst for it to move higher. But at the moment, I think we're going to be in a sideways pattern for a while and just treading a little bit of water. Okay, so a bit of a grind going on here locally. Yeah. Julia, what do you think of that? I mean, what could a potential catalyst be to kickstart this market once again? Well, I guess that we're, we're watching the US for leads really and you know, we saw another record performance from the US stock market overnight. The Australian market, remember, we're very heavy in terms of commodities as well as the financial sector. And this week we did see iron ore taking a bit of a step back which impacted on the market. But as soon as you start to see those commodities racing again, you should start to see a bit of catch up for the Aussie share market. And I think the commodity space does look pretty interesting at the moment, especially iron ore. You know, that's been impacted by the four day shutdown in the main steel making mm -hmm. city of China. But of course, that's a temporary shutdown as well. And you'd imagine that steel making will be strong, not only in China, but the rest of the globe, which we often forget about because mm -hmm. of all the stimulus, the infrastructure that needs to be built. Okay, so that is just laying uh, the land out in front of our viewers. I'd like to get into our stock of the day. I picked this one because we had a bit of news out about Nine Entertainment this morning. And it's in relation to its regional affiliates. So it has ditched Southern Cross 
in favor of Win Corporation. So the new regional affiliation deal will see nine content broadcast into regional areas by the Bruce Gordon-owned network. The minimum seven-year agreement kicks off in July, with Win to pay around half of its advertising revenue to nine and promoting uh, nine content via its airwaves. So nine entertainment, Julia, I will start with you because it was a pretty strong report. I saw the chart for nine earlier this morning on air. We'll bring it up shortly. And, and it's, you know, it's looking really good over that past year. Nine is looking great for a number of reasons. Number one, during COVID, we saw advertising really leave the market. And during that time, we saw nine clamping down on costs. And then, of course, you've seen advertising coming back very strongly. Um, and I guess this is a good time to think about that traditional um, uh, TV model versus digital. And the traditional TV model is all about content. If you get the content right, you get the ratings right. I guess content is the key here, so a negative here for Southern Cross Media or a positive here for Win. Yeah, Nine Entertainment itself, uh, you know, you call it a traditional business, but we spoke with uh, the outgoing CEO at the time, Hugh Marks, and it's not a traditional, it's not traditional, it's not a traditional at all. Traditional it's a digital business. It's, digital. it's got domain. <laughs> it's got Stan. It's got. Um, but we're talking about the traditional papers. side of its business yeah. with this announcement today. It isn't. It, it's completely um, doing very well in transferring to the digital side of its business. I mean, forty percent of its earnings now come from the digital side, which mm. is domain, Stan, um, Nine now, and the rest of the digital. Things. And I guess in terms of old school versus new school and how this fits into Nine's model, you really want those eyeballs to transfer onto mm -hmm. digital where a lot of the advertising dollars is, are coming through. So for Nine, it's not so much about how much money they make through the, the, the amount of uh, revenue share that there's going to be. It's more about the eyeballs and what that means for advertising. Uh, I do this on behalf of the viewers because that's all nice, well and good, but media is very cyclical. This was a bit of a cost out story in terms of the result for Nine. Would you be buying Nine Entertainment? Yeah, I'm comfortable with most of the media companies here, whether it's Nine or News Corp, and really it is cyclical. Not only do you have the cost cutting side, which means that it's a leaner company, but now you've got the tailwinds of an improving economy, especially the business side, which has seen a lot of stimulus and support. So coming out of recession, a lot stronger than expected. So those advertising companies or those advertising related companies uh, are going to do really well. Okay, so I'm curious then to know mm. uh, about Southern Cross Media. So yeah. it is a media company, it's in radio, it's just lost this deal with Nine. Yeah. Uh, it is now a buying opportunity. It does look like it's starting to become more of a buying opportunity. Um, you know, Southern Cross Media owns 99 radio stations uh, around Australia, Triple M and, and a couple of those other ones. They also do have SoundCloud, Sonos Radio and some other digital radio sides of things as well. However, I do think radio isn't the best medium these days and albeit we only listen to it really on an average of 20 minutes a day when you're in the car on your way home or when you're um, on, you know, moving between one place and another. So it really doesn't have uh, that, that much reach compared to what it used to have. So I think Southern Cross Media is an interesting story, but I'd be very cautious around here just on that revenue model it doesn't look fantastic and and it's more of an old world stock i guess you could say uh, more traditional stock uh, at the moment so i'd probably be a hold to leave it away at the moment any view on southern cross julia we're giving our viewers a bit of a bonus here yeah i mean you 
the market has a tendency to overreact, um, both on the upside mm. and the downside. And an 11% fall, I think, is quite severe for Southern Cross Media. I thought initially there'd been that announcement plus it traded ex-dividend or something because of the size of the fall. So, you know, probably a shorter term opportunity here with Southern Cross um, Media. And the thing about the radio part of its business, I know I say 70% of its earnings comes from radio. But the majority of that is actually regional radio. And regional radio, the advertising component, is pretty sticky. It's small and medium-sized businesses. And if you're in regional Australia, you're usually keeping in touch with what's going on in that community through, through radio. So look, it is a, a much more stable cash flow than, I guess, the things that are reliant in terms of capital cities. Um, and I think the market has overreacted just a touch in terms of Southern Cross Media with an 11% fall there. I guess the flip side for Southern Cross Media is they now need to find better content mm -hmm. because most of their content is coming from 10 and it just doesn't have the same rating. So if they can find another deal, um, better content, that would be a plus. There you go. That's a bit of a roundup of what's going on in the media space right now, particularly with Nine Entertainment and Southern Cross. Let's get going, shall we, guys? Get into the questions yeah. that have been put to us from our viewer. This one has a bit of context around it as well, coming from Andrew. It's about the ASX, so the listed entity itself. He says, what do you think about the ASX for the long term? I'm thinking of jumping in, hoping a mm -hmm. bottom is in place. I'll start with you, Adam Dawes. Mm. Uh, look, we've got some brokers expecting earnings will continue to contract by as much as 5 to 10% yep. in FY21. What's yep. your view? Can I do a table thumb yeah. It's a buy. Buy. Absolutely. Uh, I really like this one, especially if we look at the chart when it comes up. It's that $70 range at the moment. And if you look, maybe got them if you've got a five year, sorry to mm. put you on the spot, but um, there's some real value there we go. There's some He's real value. He, he is good, isn't he? Uh, so there's some fantastic value at this $70 mark here. And I think it, you, you saw it in 2020 dip to that sort of so COVID levels. And now uh, it, it has come back to those levels. So I'm really comfortable here. The dividend is strong. And the only reason why I say that this one is a buy is that I know from our firm, Shore & Partners, how many deals we've got coming up in the next six months. We have just got, uh, like there's slated for like six IPOs and then corporate activity and then you know options has been an issue for them yes options uh, is is a slowing market or pulling back but the amount of money that's going into etfs and the trading volumes that we're seeing i'm really comfortable buying asx at these levels so table thumper great uh, capital buy. raisings add that to the list last correct. year was really positive yeah, for correct. asx but juliet you know, it's still got a lot of capex spending to come. That's still exactly got that chest right. replacement Cost coming group. through. Yep. Yes, yep. Um, I mean, I'm still cautious because I think you're still looking for earnings to bottom. And I guess the thing that I ask myself is: is the next 12 to 18 months going to be more positive or less positive? Um, than what we've seen so far. And we have seen elevated trading volumes. There's so many new uh, entrants coming to the market. Are we going to see that same level of growth? And my, I, my view is that we're going to see a bit, bit of moderation in terms of that side. So I'm cautious in terms of earnings. I think we're yet to see a bottom and the share price reflects that. Look, the shares are down 19% in the year to date so far. 
And then the other side, as you mentioned, is the increasing costs. You know, at the heart of it, the ASX is now a technology company, and they did see a cost guidance increase from six to seven percent previously to eight to nine percent. Mm -hmm. So that obviously has an effect when revenue is growing relatively slowly. And this is a company, you know, where revenue was up by three point four percent for for the half year, but net profit was down by three point four percent. And this is a cost story: costs rising, revenue still relatively sluggish. If you have a look at interest rate futures or if you have a look at options, that's a problem. Even though IPOs, corporate actions, secondary raisings have been quite positive, I'd just be a little bit cautious in terms of the ASX because I don't expect the growth in the cash market to continue indefinitely. So even for Andrew, who's looking at this for the long term, you just don't think that we've seen the end of this share price fall, so there may be a better time yeah, to get in. Yeah, I think I would be more comfortable once the chess replacement project um, came and went. Whenever <laughs> that is. And I am it is mostly a cost side story that I'm concerned about. The, the increase in cost doesn't offset sort of the three to four percent revenue that you're getting. And that, okay. that sort of that imbalance for me is a risk in getting into this stock at this stage when costs are rising and revenue still looks relatively muted. Look, we're not starting <laughs> off this Friday with a buy. Oh, it's not going dividend in the portfolio, yield. but I mean, there there's, you go. There's yeah, lots but going you know, for we've it. learned a lot about know, dividend know, yield like and the earnings. There's, there's a lot following. going for this one, yeah. But the, it looks like value. Yeah. It looks like value, right? It, it looks relatively Val correct. cheap. So where's but that's value going? Historical. Where's that's value going historical. Where's value going at the moment? Text off, boil. Everything's looking this, for value, and this is fantastic value This is a COVID here. winner with all the traders coming through, but stimulus now rolling on. Okay, so Superhero, all of these new entrants coming into the market, or albeit they're low brokerage, but there's a lot of these entrants going in. There's a lot of that kind of stuff happening. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a buy. <laughs> <laughs> to the camera. To the camera, there. huh? You've got this recorded. Okay, so let's get to our next company, shall we? This one is Vocus, and this is a question coming uh, to us from Peter. I hope you're watching or listening, Peter. It's an interesting question to put to the panel because, of course, there has been an offer made for Vocus from Mira, uh, an arm of Macquarie and Aware Super, $5.50 cash per share, and the scheme has been uh, you know, recommended by the board. Right. So would you be potentially buying now to hope that there could be a better offer on the table? So Macquarie Infrastructure and Real Assets holding this mirror is, is looking obviously to acquire at $5.50. I don't think that there's anybody else that's really potentially got the firepower unless we're talking a pension fund or something like that. Now, if, if you buy in here, there's basically upside is let's say seven cents or, you know, and plus potentially another 5% on top of the offer where they would go up. The downside to this is that it could get back to $4, $4.20 if the bid doesn't go through. So my downside risk to this is a lot greater than my upside potential and hence no. What you would want now is for Vocus to come out and say, uh, we don't like, you know, there's been falling down of due diligence or something like that and potentially there's going to be a bump in the road or um, foreign Investment Review Board, but that's not going to happen. So um, if there's a blip on that, then yes. But buying it here, no, your upside is limited. The downside is a lot bigger. So I'd be cautious. Too, too risky of a proposition. Well, yeah, your downside time. risk yeah, is, is too much and the upside. Unless you're buying $10 million bucks worth, then $0.07 cents or $0.05, cents, absolutely. There could be better places to put $10 million. Though, uh -huh. but. Yeah. 
Absolutely. If you're buying into Vocus now, you're evaluating, um, I guess, the potential of another bidder coming through because the $5.50 uh, offer is on the table. And I guess there had been a lot of nervousness, and I was with Adam when this uh, this potential offer initially emerged because mm. we've seen a couple of times now where a potential mm -hmm. takeover has fallen AGL. down in the due yep. diligence. But this one, the due diligence has gone through, and we've seen the offer firming at $5.50. So that's a positive. If you're buying in now, you are really waiting for another buyer. So then you're looking at Vocus's business model. And really with Vocus, the attractive components are retail, but more than network services. So network services has been where the growth is. And you've got that direct connection into Asia as well. They had been going through a three-year turnaround mm. um, in the midst of that. Mm. So nice to see them snapped up. Um, before that, so I guess for shareholders, um, it does mean they have to evaluate whether you know it would have been better, uh, sort of sticking it in for the mm -hmm. sticking with it for the three years and seeing that turnaround take place. But obviously, given how lackluster the share price has been over the last three years, shareholders I think would be pretty happy here. The only reason you'd buy if you thought a potential another potential bidder could come through. And that is unlikely in your view, so you would not be taking that strategy right now? I think there potentially could be. I mean, we've seen a number mm. of takeover offers mm -hmm. for Vocus in the past, so now it's just a, a waiting game. And I, I actually think that um, your risk is capped at $5.50 here. Okay. That is not a buy. I'm not, not putting neutral. that as a buy. Okay? <laughs> not exciting enough. No. Live Tiles is the next one on the list. This is coming to us from Megan. Thank you for watching and for sending this one through. So Live Tiles has been going through a bit of a tough time, weaker operating performance over the past 12 to 18 months. But what that also means is that it's trading at a relative discount to many of its mm -hmm. peers in that tech space. Do you know the company? Do you like the company, Julia? Yeah, I mean, um, I've worked in a number of big companies. Um, you'd think that during the pandemic, because people were work working mm -hmm. from home, that this would become an even um, core part. But often with the intranets that I, I've um, been able to access through work, you can only access them while you're at work, not through private networks and mm. so forth. So that might have eaten into, I guess, the, the business model because they have been negatively impacted during COVID-19. But you'd think that structurally that theme towards the digitalization of workforce uh, communication is still there. So the the pros, if you were to get into this one, is if you thought there was going to be a faster recovery from what's happened in terms of COVID-19 and that move to the digitalization of communication in the workforce was still going to happen. On the negative side, if you thought that there was still going to be slower activity here and that's going to take some time for it to ramp up, or because of what we've seen during COVID-19, they'd lose some business and there's some churn, a churn factor coming into play, then you'd be negative. And look, I'm undecided here. The share price actually points to a bit of weakness here. Um, so I'd probably wait on the sidelines until there was signs of recovery taking place and growth coming back into play. The company does have a number of pretty big names associated yeah. with it. Microsoft is one that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, but again, it is changing its strategy, it's needing to refresh, it's needing to hire, will likely burn some cash as it goes through that process. But again, in terms of valuation, well, it's in pretty term, cheap. Yeah, it's un under, under demanding would be the word at a multiple of 2.7 times. So it does definitely reflects uh, that weak organic growth that we're seeing in the company. And for that, um, their accounts are, are, are pointing to a material slowdown uh, in revenue in the second half of 2020 as saw a, a slowdown.
but then also going to be contributing into uh, 2021. And revenue was down 12 million to, or down 25%, half on half. So, and for a year, year on year, it was flat. A couple of things that they saw that the conversions for customers on their free trials were was negative. So in other words, someone took up the free trial, had a look at it, but then didn't decide to take it up in the quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's not a great look for the business. And I'm always cautious of companies that are in a down cycle or, or, or re-rating of that revenue or earnings. And so for this one, I, would not be t- I wouldn't touch it. It does look under-demanding on a multiple valuation, but I think the performance of the stock needs to really start to kick before you'd start to buy it. If you hold it, I would hold it. I think you know it is a good business and it looks under demanding, but there is no reason why a new shareholder should step in just at the moment. Okay, that brings us to our next company, Mainstream Group. It is a diversified financial services business. Basically, it's a fund administrator. But again, there is a scheme implementation deed yeah. on the table. Um, so Vistra looking to acquire 100% of the company's shares. And again, the board supports this scheme. So Will didn't give us any context around his question. So I can only presume that it is, should you be buying now? Again, presuming that there could be a better offer on the table. Yeah, I mean, with Focus Oil's neutral, that's under a takeover offer. With Mainstream, I know there's an offer on the table, but I'm tilting a bit more positive here. And that's because we've already seen quite a bit of corporate activity in this space. Um, I spoke to Mainstream when I was starting up my business because obviously I'd need fund accounting, fund administration, as well as registry services, which Mainstream provides at the back end in terms of funds. And I think Magellan Financial Group is a major client of theirs, and as well as the growth that we've seen in exchange traded funds, which means that services to this area have been uh, going quite strongly, as you've seen from the share price over mm-hmm. the, uh, in that one year chart. Um, we've seen a lot of corporate activity in this sector. Um, we've seen OneView, which has been taken over by Iris. We've also seen Link, um, with a number of parties interested in uh, that. So I potentially think there could be another bidder emerging here. So mildly positive, um, worth putting a little bit of money on, and, and I guess, um, once again, capped at $1.20. Not hugely exciting, but... Um, oh. I think a, a greater chance and focus of getting a, another takeover offer here. One of those quiet performers you've got to think yeah. over the past five years. 100%, yeah. But the market's telling you something there with a price at $1.23 and there's a bid at one twenty. Yeah, that the market's definitely telling you that there potentially is going to be another bid. Mm. Now, you'd be cautious you wouldn't be putting a lot of money into this, but the market is saying that we think that there's a higher bid and we think that this business is worth more than what there's being offered. Mm-hmm. So I think Julie is absolutely right with the uh, scheme of arrangements that are happening out there with Link, OneView, those kinds of things. Um, and these guys have got a large skew to the fast growing Asia Pacific area as well. So I think that's probably potentially what they're looking for is a foothold and you might see another larger US company potentially wanting to get into that Asia uh, side of things might come in with another bid. So most brokers got valuations of a dollar twenty-two. So one twenty, a little bit sort of optimistic there. But um, I, I, I struggle to go into takeovers when potentially um, new new investors. I just struggle. The downside for me is too much. It's a hold for me. I, I, I think the market's telling you there might be another bid, but what's that bid going to look like? One twenty-five. 130. I mean, it depends how much they want the business. So there's not a lot of upside there for me at these levels. Mm-hmm, to take on that risk. Correct. It's obviously a very 
interesting area of the market for external you know, offshore companies to come in. Why is that? Is that because of the exposure that it can give to the Asian region? Well, the Asian region's growing very strongly. I mean, you just have to look at Singapore as a hub and the amount of money that's pouring into Singapore, whether it's family offices, the funds management side or the hedge fund side. So it's obviously a very attractive area. I think that the takeover from mainstream will really come down to price. Generally, as a rule of thumb, for control of a company in a takeover, I would expect around a 30% premium, and you're not seeing that here, mm. which is why I think there is a potential for another bidder to emerge. And of course, you only need two bidders to keep on driving up That's the it. price. <laughs> but also Australia and the funds administration side is world leading. Mm. You know, you look at America and they're still producing checks and they're still producing dividend, uh, you know, share certificates whereas computer shares tried to move in there and, and make it all digital. So we, we are quite uh, leaders in that space and hence why we've got some of these, I guess, uh, takeovers and those kinds of things and the consolidation from Iris and all these other guys as well. They know that that sector is going to get hot up and hence they're making those consolidations. So is there a player, a listed player in Australia in that space that you look upon it really favorably because of their exposure to those narratives? I mean, you've got Link, you've yeah, got well, Computer I had Share, um, the OneView has the registry mm -hmm. side of the business as well, and they've gone over to Iris. Yeah. I think Iris is looking interesting with sort of the acquisitions they've made and the way they're uh, incorporating the financial planning, the stockbroking, and a mm -hmm. number of different yeah. moving parts there. I'd be quite interested to see what their technology plan looks like over the next five years. Yeah, I've, we've got a lot in Link, and we're waiting on that one. Um, for the smaller players, there's class, CL1. Mm. Um, that might be a little bit of a consolidation piece. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty thin now. And just like the telco sector, you know, you're starting to see that consolidation starting to happen again. Um, yeah, I think that there's definitely room for some uh, more players, but only time will tell on mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I think this is definitely an area that hasn't fully benefited from digitalization, but completely mm. should. It would cut out a huge amount of costs. And you know from your own experience, <laughs> right? And it, 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 a lot of it is still manual, which I find absolutely incredible in this day and age. So um, look, I think it there's, there's a w way of looking at companies. You can look at it through like a private equity takeover and they come in and slash costs through staffing and things like that. And then you could look at it through a digital lens and almost a digital takeover. Well, how do I cut costs through digitalization? And I think this area is one area that's completely right for that. Interesting. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's get to the fifth stock on our list now. And this one is coming from Sarwan. And it's U Foods. YFZ is the ticker code. Sarwan, thanks for writing in. So this is what well, you see it around a lot, don't you? So mm. B2C and also B2B in that, um, you know, wholesale as well as web and app food ordering. So it's all about food. Um, I think we've had a chat about this we one have, before. Yeah. And I think you liked it. I was caught, yes, but now look. Dropping a minute. Now look at the share price. Uh, Maybe uh, it's a little bit tough here. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we were at 80 cents or something when we last couple of weeks ago when we talked about it. Um, so what's going wrong here? Well, they're on track for prospectus forecasts. They're delivering, that revenue line is delivering and it's going to, that B2C market is going to underpin some strong revenue growth going into the second quarter and, and of 2021 and beyond. I just think the market is potentially, you know, 
we've seen so many companies that have said during COVID we've hit fantastic numbers and we did really, really well, but we're going to have to pare back our expectations for the next two years because we're never going to see that kind of environment again. That base effect. Yeah, and I think that's what's happening with this one. Everyone got really excited because they saw Marley Spoon go from $0.20 cents to $3. Yufu's came on, got listed, and potentially there's uh, some re-rating going on there. I, I still like it. I like their mobile app. I like what they're doing. I, I like, you know, they've got really good presence in the supermarket mm-hmm. shelves. You see them everywhere. Um, I just don't know where the entry point. I guess the question is too, is. have you ever bought you foods? I mean, no. Yeah. No. I. I um, not saying I would never. No. Just, you know, it's, it's telling, right? Is this also perhaps, Julia, one of those cases where it IPO'd and perhaps, you know, you would have been best to stand back, watch it for a little while before getting in? Look, they IPO'd in December, so it hasn't been long, but it's pretty disappointing to see the price fall from the IPO price of $1.50 to $0.68. Cents. Yeah. Um, mm. that's, that's pretty severe um, in such a short period of time. And they have been impacted negatively by COVID. I mean, you, you think that during COVID that ready-made meals would be a no-brainer. But in fact, if you have a look at where they sell this, they sell it to people, but then they also sell it through Coles, IGA, BP, Ampol. So these are, um, I guess, people traveling that are eating at um, a service station, so truckies, and you've had interstate borders and closures, which has impacted on activity there. And we've been at home. Who needs a ready-made meal when you're eating at home? We have time to cook and prepare, and it's, it's yeah. not that hard. So I really think this is a, more of a COVID recovery stock, that as you see people go back to work and things normalise, that you'll probably see this company going back to normalisation. But I definitely don't think this is a company that has benefited from COVID. One of the things that I did have a look at when I was looking at the numbers, um, they are forecasting this financial year revenue of $150 million. So far in the first half, they've made revenue of about $73 million, so just under half of that. But they had talk about this gross revenue of $100 million. Yeah. So I had a look through to see what's the difference between gross and net revenue, because that's a bit weird. Yeah. Mm. And the gross revenue is not including discounts, and the net is including discounts. So obviously there's a heavy amount of discounting happening mm. here, whether it's for the Coles deal, because Coles is starting to ramp up um, stocking new foods on anticipation of that return to the mm. workplace. So look, I think it's worth having a little bit of money in here now. I'd prefer to wait till things normalise, but I, I have a feeling if you wait for that, then the share price will already start to run. And just keep a watch on your coal supermarket to see how much they're restocking here, because this is all about people returning back to work and being too time poor to prepare their meals. And at the moment, people working from home, they're not too time poor to prepare their own meals. Mm, and then whether or not everybody returns to work in full capacity. So it is a buy at these levels from yeah, me. Yeah, I think in the water, prefer to watch for a bit more recovery. But I think Coles is looking to ramp up uh, the sale of you foods on anticipation of that return to work, and that's a positive. Is it a buy for you? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a hold for me. I want to see more data going through. Plus, that, that part of the market's becoming very, very saturated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got My Muscle Chef that's looking to list as well. Um, you've got all these other ready-made uh, food groups out there already doing what they do. So, yeah, I'd be cautious at these levels. Okay, good. Thanks, guys. So that takes us to number five. That means it's time to recap the first five companies we've covered and our stock of the day, which was Nine Entertainment. Look, Julia is calling it a buy. 
Uh, look, we're seeing a recovery in the media market, tailwinds of that improving economy. And so it looks as if it's a pretty good buy at this point. But uh, as far as Southern Cross, which was on the opposite spectrum in terms of this regional affiliate deal, uh, Adam Dawes is calling it a hold. He says, you know, the revenue model is pretty good. Regional radio is pretty strong. Julia agrees. Um, but he just thinks that it's a little bit still old school and it all comes down to the content, don't we know, at Ausbiz. <laughs> content is king. And so for her, Southern Cross just needs to get its content sorted before it would be a and buy. Missing out on Married at First Sight. Uh, You're not doing Married at First Sight. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no judgment here, everyone. Uh, ASX is the first company coming to us from Andrew. This is a table thumper from Adam Dawes. I've never heard him be so clear. It is a buy. Fantastic value. Where else are you going to get value like this in this market right now? You should see the faces he's making right now. He is fully agreeing. Julia, though, disagrees. So you're going to have to choose between the two of these guys, Andrew. Tough, tough decision. But she says, look, she's just really cautious. Are the earnings at a bottom? Not only that, but there's still a lot of spending that needs to come on uh, the chess project and the replacement project there. So it's not a buy for Julia. Vocus. So if you bought into this now, you are buying in because you anticipate or you're hoping that there's going to be a better offer made. But Adam says, look, it's just too risky. So there's more risk to the downside that you could potentially get from any sort of an improved offer to the upside. Uh, look, Julia is pointing to the share price performance over the past five years. It's been so lackluster. Even if you're a shareholder, she's saying, you know, the likelihood of getting into this for any excitement on another bid is probably just not worth your time. Correct, Julia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lifetiles Life is the next one. So this is, again, where we get a bit of disagreement between our two experts here. So Adam is saying, look, hold it. He wouldn't touch it right now. The performance does need to improve. But Julia is saying... Look, it's a, it's a company that you could dip your toe in, uh, but she's still, she's still undecided, just to be clear. She's saying wait it out, but you, know, you want to see that you start to get um, you know, faster recovery on the pro side, I guess, on the con side, is that there's still slower activity right now. Mainstream is number four. This one is for Will, again, a company that has an offer on the table. So it's just, it's just, not a buy for either of these two at this time because there's still those uncertainties around an offer. Adam says, look, the market is telling you that there could potentially be an improved offer, but there's other places in the market that you could be in the meantime with your money. Um, Julia's a little bit more positive on it. She says that there has been a lot of corporate activity in this space, mildly positive, but uh, I don't think that was a buy. Small buy. Small buy. Don't put a huge amount of money okay. in there. <laughs> That's a new term, but a small buy. And for our final company on the list, U Foods, it is a buy for Julia. Just dip your toe in the water, keep a watch, little bit of money in it now. She's actually calling this a COVID recovery stock. Keep your eye on Kohl's and the stocking levels there. Uh, for Adam, though, it's just a hold. If you own it already, it's just disappointing. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it only debuted on the market in mm. about December, and the share price performance has been pretty dismal since then. So just hold off on that one, according to Adam Dawes. So there you have it. So that is today's company. Nothing going in the portfolio now. Speaking of, our portfolio has been running for quite some time now. What happens is if we get a buy from both of our experts on any program, we put that company into this portfolio that has been... Uh, supported by our friends at NAB Trade. 
Over the past week, we're actually up now, up by close to 2%, but down close to 2% for the month. The full year to date, though, up just over 23%. Recently, we've added Dragon Tail Systems, Vista Group, IDP Education, which probably isn't helping us no. over the past no. couple of days, <laughs> Integral Diagnostics, and Qantas, which has been uh, benefiting the portfolio in the past couple of days. If you'd like to see what's in or out, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Okay, our guests have had a time to, to take a breath before we dip back into it. Let's kick it off with Kogan, shall we? This is a question coming to us from Phil saying, I know we're cycling away from COVID benefiters, but the free fall in the share price is out of hand. It's gone from overpriced to severely underpriced, I guess in his view. Can you give me some insight into why? Julia, let's start with you. Is this just trepidation because it did so well through the pandemic and it just can't keep that momentum up? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about the market is that it overreacts on the upside as well as the downside. And this is looking oversold here. Um, there is potential that it could fall and there is strong support around $10. And if it was ever to fall to $10, I'd be like getting as much stock as I could because I think that would be a wonderful price. But essentially it's been um, because of that great rotation from the COVID winners into the COVID losers. And I think one clear thing that we saw this reporting season, and especially as stocks turn next dividend, is that you are seeing a lot of support for these companies disappearing and going into the COVID losers instead. Um, so the COVID losers being things like the airlines, the hospitality sector, the travel sector. So look, I think it's gone too far one way because uh, I don't think recovery is going to be um, as smooth sailing as people think. And look, in the end, investors will come back to growth stocks. It's just for the time being, they see better returns coming through from the COVID losers rather than the COVID winners. So tempted to put a little bit of money in here at this stage, but the, there of course is still that risk that we continue to see that rotation happen. And of course, those higher bond yields, meaning that these companies that are based on future cash flow and future profitability are worth less today. So um, Kogan, I think it's overdone. I think it's due for a bounce, but um, yeah, just get in slowly, I think. Or do you wait for a further pullback? Uh, no, I agree with Julie. I think it's a buy. Uh, I'm not table thumping this one, <laughs> but uh, look, there is that more downside to sort of nine, $10. So I agree that potentially there is further to go. One of the things that Kogan's done is their spend on their marketing to get more active customers has been quite large. And that spend has risen by 65% over the last sort of first half of 2021. But that has started to work because the proportion of their website traffic now has jumped around 33%. So, and comparing that to the last half, it was 25%. So there is that movement that the more you spend out on your advertising, the more it comes back. And I think that's really positive for Kogan's ongoing growth story as well. So I really like this business. Um, he's done very well. He does, you know, he does his own Kogan TVs and all of that kind of stuff. So exclusive brands, I think, is where the business is going to need to go. Yeah, that private label and the revenue has been really growing. Correct. And I think that's where they're going to be concentrating on. So if they can get that mix right and they can get that private label working, there's a lot more profitability to be had. This one has definitely run and was, was we were all scratching our head at 20 mm -hmm. bucks or whatever it was. That, that, that was, you know, how's it getting up there so high? Well, there you go, $24. Um, we were sort of wondering why, what's going on there. I think it's now come back to a normal level. 
I'm really happy to start dipping our toe in the water on that. The other thing that I've noticed is that uh, we are in dividend paying season, and after companies, cents, um, I think they paid yeah, a couple of days ago. after companies pay their dividend, it's just been a trend this dividend season that there's a bit of share price weakness for around about a week before things stabilise. Yeah. That's been the case whether it's Fortescue, BHP, or you know JB Hi-Fi, Domino's, um, and I think it's the case for probably Kogan as well. It went ex-dividend on the 8th of March, so around about these levels is probably where um, you've seen support if any of the other retailers are mm -hmm. anything to go by. Okay, so that's Kogan for Phil. Let's get to McMahon for Victoria. M-A-H, as you know, is the ticker code. So, you know, mining services. Yeah. Um, Obviously very in vogue because we're seeing this commodities push, economic recovery, everything else. But it did have a slower first half of 2021. Yeah, I think they're doing really well. I mean, on the revenue side, and I'm not concerned around revenue with mining services at all because you think that with commodity prices the way they're going, that you are going to see more projects, more work coming through. So I think revenue is going to be really good for mining services. And McMahon, you know, their guidance for revenue is $1.3 to $1.4 billion this financial year. This financial year, they've already got secured revenue of $1.3 billion. So that tells you there's upside to their revenue forecast. Their earnings forecast is $90 to $100 million. And this is where I get a little bit more cautious in terms of the mining services mm -hmm. companies. Because we know that getting labour at the moment is quite mm -hmm. difficult which means that um, margins could potentially be under pressure. And we know mining services is dependent on the margins they get on their projects. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between being in profitability or a loss. So I'm very positive in terms of the mining services space from a revenue perspective. I just got, want to go with players where I'm very confident they can ma maintain their margin or increase their margin in what's a strong environment, but an environment where uh, costs are potentially rising here, which is, for me, a key risk for mining services in any sort of project work. Um, so I prefer Monodelphus in this space, a proven leader, premium, and look, the iron ore and oil and gas side, which they have strong exposure to, it, you know, it's going mm -hmm. to do very well in 2021. So I'll push the point, Julia, because we're friends. Monodelphus, would you buy in mm -hmm. at, uh, yes. at this price? I think these prices are great. It, it's down 20% in the year to date so far. I oh, don't yeah. think that's going to continue. I think we've seen a bottoming out in terms of earnings and you're going to see growth from here. I like McMahon, um, so I'll buy there, but I prefer um, Monodelphus. So McMahon's a buy as well? Yeah. Okay, cool. What do you think of management's ability to to transition that revenue into actual earnings? Yeah, so scarce skilled labor is definitely going to be an issue where, and it's been, it's been talked a bit, but are we in a resource super cycle? Question out there for everybody, are we there? And potentially- Differing opinions coming through. Yeah, correct. Why, is it a why does it have to be a super cycle? Why can't it just be a normal cyclical recovery? Because super we, have, we have to put a label on everything <laughs> and we have to call it something. So. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I think that we are in a normal good commodity cycle. I don't know if it's super cycle because mm. potentially super cycle lasts for 20 years and you know these ones I don't think will, will last that long. So the mining services side I'm really quite skeptical on because we've started to see some new IPOs mm. coming in and they usually come in at the top of the market. So I'm always cautious but I'm also very cautious about ones that are in the exploration side of things versus the ones that are in the normal day-to-day -day working of mines. So I think McMahon comes into that new winning new contracts, but also in that day-to-day. -day. The mine still has to run. So I'm going to go with Julia here. I think it's going to be a buy. My goodness. I know, 
but, but the risks are there. But yeah. the risks are there because the growth outlook does look very strong and it does trade on a very low multiple. So I'm quite comfortable there with it. Some of the catalysts are obviously going to be um, new contract awards win and correlation with that risk on, which is mm -hmm. definitely happening uh, at the moment. So I also like Austin Engineering, ANG is my little free pick for you on that one. They do dump truck trays and I know that there's some large forward orders that are coming from Fortescue and Rio on those dump trucks because they have to be replaced regularly. I think Austin is another great little one All in right. the services space. That's McMahon for you, plus plus Victoria. Yeah. Let's get to Eclipse Group, shall we? Because this one's coming from Barry. We saw end of lease income up 70% in the first half. However, the question is, can that momentum continue? Is Eclipse, and this is always the question with it, getting all prettied up for a potential takeover? I like Eclipse. I like the um, salary packaging space. There's um, constraints at the moment because obviously it's hard to get your hands on a car at the moment, um, which is, which means that you know that's there's a constraint in terms of um, innovative leases and the car side of things. But I'm positive on Eclipse for a number of reasons. One, yes, you know, being able to sell the cars at a higher price at the end of the lease is temporary because of the demand for used cars at the moment. Secondly, you know, the jobs market has been nowhere near as bad as economists were forecasting. When COVID was happening, they were forecasting that the unemployment rate would get to 10%. We got low as 7.1% in April, and now they're forecasting that the unemployment rate is going to bottom out at around about 5%. Mm. So that's a hugely positive backdrop for the jobs market. And of course, Eclipse, which depends on people packaging things yeah. through their salary. So a buy for from me buy at these levels because that chart looked like mm. it had done pretty well over the past year yeah it's a hold from me sorry to disagree with you on this julia i, I think that uh so that polite i am <laughs> that that new car uh, market is going to normalize and it will come back potentially that's where there might be some shortage or or, or uh, lo lower amounts of revenue coming through i'm always cautious on uh novated leases famous stock Macmillan Shakespeare mm -hmm. yeah. where basically for all those players at home was uh, a, um, a fantastic business jewel of the market mm -hmm. but then the government decided with one pen stroke to change the uh, the innovative lease structure and basically saw the business halve and and move forward so yeah I'm just cautious about this innovative lease space I think the supply shortage of new cars is going to normalize it's a hold from me. Okay, Credit Clear is the next one on the list. CCR for James, mobile solution for collecting receivables. Recent market debut again. Uh, it's got some pretty high profile investors in it. Julia, do you like yeah. Credit Clear? Uh, we're in Credit Corp and mm. we love Credit Corp because it's an upgrade cycle. <laughs> and the reason why we like Credit Corp is look, the Australian business is doing good, but uh, doing well. But the US business is absolutely blowing the lights out. and. It's the US business, which I think is going to be the driver of the upgrade mm. cycle. Um, so when you're looking at a debt recovery company, there's a number of things. There's number one, what you pay for the debt. Number two, how much it costs you to collect on what percentage of the debt. And I think this is a, a really positive area in the US, which is yet to get its stimulus checks. So yet is to get that bounce from mm -hmm. the $1,400 that's coming through. So I think the US business is great. Here in Australia, it's a little bit different. Like our jobs market is better than expected but you're seeing stimulus rolling off in terms of our JobKeeper. So that makes me more neutral in terms of the Australian business. So what Credit Corp do really well is that they understand that most people who um, 
overrun um, and get overdue debts. They don't have the capacity to pay their debts off in one go, but they do have the capacity to agree to a repayment plan. And I think that's what they do really well. They work with their customers in terms of a repayment plan. Credit Clear are a little bit different in that they take a tech technology angle mm. to collecting on that debt, which I think is a smart way to do it. But at the end of the day, it's all about your balance sheet capability to be able to buy new debt, what cost you're buying it at and how you're recovering it. So look, first half year revenue was up by 280%, amazing. Um, and EBITDA went from a, uh, the EBITDA loss went from a $1.5 million loss to a $2.8 million loss, so a bigger loss. And so on one side, you saw revenue doing well, but earnings not doing well. And the reason for that is that, you know, the company needs to go and buy more debt. So obviously the costs are increasing there. Um, in particular, the utility side of the business did really well. Um, we saw total debt increasing by 390% mm -hmm. and active customer volumes up by 170%. So I like this area. I prefer to go with Credit Corp because of the US story, which I think is more positive than the Australian yeah. story. And I get that whole about the debt recovery, but it's more than that, this credit clear. It's the receivables for small to medium enterprises. It's also got lawyers, in-house lawyers, a, a, a subsidiary called Oakbridge Lawyers. What do you think of it? Yeah, look, uh, the contracts that they do have, Gibson Water, um, uh, BMW Finance, you know, AGL, those kinds of things. There's some decent blue chip clients in there. Uh, revenue obviously was uh, from clients looked higher. They've got 71 clients across multiple sectors. So I think everything works well and it is a technology business because, you know, they, when they talk on their website, they talk about scan the QR code and it'll all automatically all done for you, those kinds of things. But it, it, it's a tough business because it, it, it's only listed last year. So we really want to see a full year's worth of trading on this one for me. So it's a hold. Credit Corp is my buy. <laughs> I love Credit yeah, Corp. Yeah, I love Credit and the Corp only, The only other thing is you have to think about, like, who are your customers in the end as well? And with Credit Corp, it's mostly credit card debt. And look, credit card debt, in my mind, you know, it's not that hard to get into trouble with. Whereas utilities, you have to be pretty desperate not to pay your utilities. And that's so where the area. Well, not only that, that, but the utilities usually let you away with it for quite some time before coming after you. Yeah. All of this debt, um, the, the companies would have their own debt recovery units. It's only after that's been unsuccessful that it gets mm -hmm. packaged yeah. up and sold off to companies like Credit Corp and... Uh, Credit Clear. So that's a no for Credit Clear. Yep. It is a yes for Credit Corp. We are just spoiling you for <laughs> with these uh, with these bonus buys, as I call them. All right, the last one on the list will have to be a little bit brief. Is Argosi Minerals. This one is for Charles. AGY is a ticker code. It's at the bottom of your screen. But for those of you listening to the podcast version, this is in lithium. It's not here in Australia. It's in Argentina, I do believe. Uh, does it have? Uh, the likelihood of gaining access to the US market, which is what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, this is a company that's actually been around since 1993. So obviously, mm. you know, the latest trend and the popular um, structural move will probably be to, to lithium over the next few decades. Um, but look, it is in exploration. So it's play money, like have a go if you know, you want a bit of fun on the side. But for a core portfolio, I don't think I'd be adding something like this. They're in the right space, being Argentina. That's where you mm. basically, you most of your lithium or, or South America. I think it's called the lithium triangle. Oh, there you go. The world's I didn't biggest know that. lithium there resources. You go. So yeah, they are in the right space. Now they, they hold a 77.5% interest in that project. So that's, that's fairly decent. 
and as you can see from the longer term chart there, it has had its run, now come back, and now obviously with that lithium story, I don't think that lithium story is going away anytime soon, and obviously that European story is massive as well, plus I guess de, uh, decoupling from China and trying to get mm -hmm. um, that, that stranglehold. For me, it's a no. I, I, I'd prefer to be in other producers. Oracobra would be my pick or Galaxy, but Oracobra is probably the number one pick that we've got in that producing space. And I think that's the place to be versus exploration at this time. Got it, guys. Listen, I am running to time today. I feel Ooh. quite relaxed as we head toward this summer. Let's get to Kogan. Kogan is going to be going in the call portfolio because it is a buy from both of my expert guests, Julia Lee from Berman Invest, Adam Dawes from Sean Partners. Julia said, look, support is at $10. If it got to that level, she would be buying hand over fist, but it is still a buy right now. Um, it it's, was oversold and mm -hmm. uh, Adam agrees and he's thinking that you know the execution of strategy is going well as well. McMahon is also going in the portfolio. It is a buy from both of my guests. Revenue versus earnings is always a difficulty when it comes to mining services in Julia's view. It's all about margins, but she obviously has faith in McMahon. She is also telling you she likes Monadelphus, which in her view is also a buy at these levels on this day. Austin Engineering is Adam's bonus buy on this day. Uh, but he also likes McMahon because it's on a low multiple. Of course, it all comes down to the contract wins that uh, come forward. But at this time, it is a buy. Eclipse Group, it's a buy from Julia, positive backdrop, but it's a hold from Adam. Sorry, guys. He just thinks that the new car market will normalize. And there is well, always the potential for regulatory risk hanging over these operators. But it is a polite disagreement with Julia. It's a hold from him. Credit Clear is not a buy from either one of our guests. However, Credit Corp is. Do your research. Of course, this is only information. This is not financial advice. But if the question was at Credit Corp, about Credit Corp, it would be going in the portfolio, but Credit Clear is not. Argosy Minerals is also not going in the portfolio. They don't think that you should be buying. It is an explorer. It's in Argentina. It's early stages. There are producers out there that look more positive. Adam's pick in the space would be Oracobra. Uh, Julia says, look, if you've got a bit of play money, uh, yeah, that's not recommended. But she said, for us, in terms of a core portfolio, Argosy should not be in there. That's it for this Friday. A huge thanks to our guests, Julia Lee, Berman Invest, as always, Adam Dawes, Thank Sean you. Partners. We'll let you get to your lunch, Adam. Yes. It'll be Thank fun. You. Hey, if you've got any companies that you would like us to cover, you can always flick us an email. I've seen a few come in just as we've been on air. The call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at TV. And for viewers that have enjoyed this on Twitter, you can switch over to the website now, ausbiz.com.au, or we have an iOS app. Thank you for watching. Uh, market coverage will continue after this short break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.